Good afternoon. Thanks for coming out to the second annual Columbia University School of Professional Studies Career Week. I am very excited to be here and uh, with you. You are participating in the workshop titled The Future of Financial Services and Tapping into Untapped Inspiration. My name is Greg Costanzo. I'm an Associate Director of Industry Relations, and that's a part of the Career Design Lab here at Columbia. So, coming from Woodbridge, New Jersey, <laughs> managing partner of Noble Bridge Wealth Partners, Tyrone Ross. Very excited to, to be welcoming and introducing Tyrone to you t this afternoon. A little bit about Tyrone. With notable experience working for institutional, corporate, and retail clients, Tyrone Ross brings more than a decade of experience in the financial services industry to Noble Bridge Wealth Partners. He helps his clients build, manage, protect, and transition their wealth, and prides himself on providing a goals-based, personalized client experience. Ross has worked for large brokerage firms like Morgan Stanley and Merrill Lynch, where he gained vast experience leading him to break away to an independent firm where he has more flexibility and control over the investing experience that he could offer his clients. Ross is a graduate of Seton Hall University with a bachelor's degree in communications. He also went on to complete his master's in corporate public communications. And in 2004, he was an Olympic trials qualifier in the 400-meter dash, and he's a self-proclaimed health nut who enjoys working out, reading, mentoring youth, and advising startups in his spare time. Tyrone is also a member of the 100 Black Men of New Jersey. So if you could join me in welcoming Tyrone Ross. Tyrone, thank you for being here. All right, so I'm going to start here, but I'm not going to finish here. I'm not the podium type, so I'm going to come out there. So I just wanted to make that announcement. Um, so I have a big mouth and I talk loudly. So I will be out here speaking to you guys. Um, thank you again for the wonderful introduction. Um, I believe there is a, no, I don't need a mic, I'm good. Um, I believe there is a class here. Um, it's Professor Calaveras, uh, which is, I think the, it's B7430. I'm trying to remember the actual class. Um, and it's on the financial services industry. So I'm going to try and be as good as that class, if not better. So where do you start? And I, I ran a couple scenarios through my head, and there's so many things that you can talk about because we're living the future of financial services. And I will talk a little bit at some point about what my firm is doing and what we embody as being the future of financial services right now. So where do you start when you talk about the future of financial services? I think you have to go back two steps. First step being, a young man starts working on Wall Street 2006. 2007 was given a really interesting assignment that required him to get to work very, very early. Early, early. Five o'clock in the morning in the office early. And the assignment was the following. Pull everything that you can on mortgages. This young man knew nothing about Wall Street, knew nothing about mortgages, knew nothing about stocks, nothing about bonds. Just worked hard. Pulling all his information on mortgages, sending it off, sending it off, sending it off. Doing his job. Doing a good job, kid. 
keep, keep it up. The firm that was requesting this information was FDI Consulting. FDI Consulting sits outside of the big four. They do forensic accounting. It wasn't until later that I discovered how brilliant these gentlemen were. But they were, keep pulling this information. You're doing a good job. You're digging things up. And here I am thinking that, all right, I'm just really good at Google. Pulling the information. Next thing you know, it's 2008. March 2008, Bear Stearns, gone. Now pause there to say this. The future of financial services changed in 2007, not because of the financial crisis, because of the invention of the iPhone. I'll get back to that. 2008, Bear Stearns collapsed. Collapses. That summer, a man named Satoshi Nakamoto licenses and website Bitcoin.org. None of us at the time knew what was going on here. This was what was going on in the background. Again, shaping the future of financial services as we're living it where we're going. That September, Lehman Brothers, my mentor at my job. I never forget the scream that came from his office. Goes under. Biggest bankruptcy U.S. history. Six weeks later, Satoshi Nakamoto releases his white paper. A couple weeks after that, first trade was ever made on the blockchain and will forever change the future of financial services. In 1994, 1994, Stephen Levy said, cryptographic protocols will change currency as we know it, 1994. I'm not gonna drone on about blockchain and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. What I'm saying is all these things that were going on in the background led us to what financial services is now. Why, one, what has happened since then? Lack of trust in financial institutions. Two, our definition of money has changed always and forever based on those events. And I'll take you back to that date that I mentioned previously, 2007, when I hold in my phone. So I'll start this way. Alexa and Siri are the Marcus Goldman and Samuel Sachs of the future. And I hope to show you that at some point and get you to believe me. Fairly controversial statement. Three dates to keep in mind. 1959, 1969, 1973, 1959, the invention of the credit card, 1969, the invention of the always take money machine known as the ATM, 1973, the first index mutual fund, not much since then until you get to 2007. 
the invention of the iPhone. Financial industry does not innovate. When you have the moat around you and the protection that you have based on money and regulation, there is no need to innovate. So that's the first step of where we're going with financial services. The second step, I take you back even further to the Industrial Revolution, which is how our current banking system is set up to serve you and I. The synergies here are quite amazing. With the introduction of steam came new industry. Entrepreneurs, those who wanted to step into industry and change their lives based on this new power, needed money. They needed funding. Sounds like fintech today. So what do we have to do? We have to get our companies funded. We need capital. We need resources. We need manpower. So banks have been set up ever since that time to provide these services, lending, other banking services, and it has not changed since the invention of the iPhone. So where do you take it from there? You go from a system that was set up to fund companies. Basically, you give me your money. I place it in the bank. I'm going to lend it at a rate to those who are looking to expand and grow globally and serve the community. Reliant upon me for all of the services that you need to grow, to expand, which means you have to trust me have all your data. It's not decentralized. Right? So if you weave all of these things together and you get to where we are now, which I say, right, in the future of financial services, we're living now. But where we're going is even more impressive for this reason. If you are one of the unbanked, or you don't have access to banking at all, which I believe at last count the number changes, somewhere between two and three billion people in the world, either lacking banking resources or unbanked. What now we are allowed to do is provide these services for next to nothing. And I pound the table on this every opportunity I get. There has never been a time in the history of the world to be an investor, ever, or to need banking, ever, or to be able to provide these services, ever, never than it is right now. Because again, all of you that you're holding in your hand, you're holding a bank. You're holding a financial advisor. You're holding a mortgage lender, right? You're holding a credit specialist. You're holding an accountant. You're holding all of these in the palm of your hand. So we always go back to the financial crisis and talk about this was the change. This was the thing that happened that forever changed the face of the financial industry. I disagree. Again, I say it's 2007. And why do I say that? Because here's what happens at Noble Bridge. I meet a client on social media. 
LinkedIn, Twitter, you name it. That client says, hey, Tyrone, I'd like to meet with you. All right, let's meet. I meet with that client and bill them for my time. I don't care about their assets. I don't care what they do. I don't care about any of that. And coming from a larger institution that I won't name either of them, they've been mentioned, that's enough of them, where you didn't have $250,000, I couldn't even speak to you. Couldn't even speak to you. Couldn't open the account, couldn't do anything. And I'm speaking and I'm, 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 I'm in all of these arenas and I can't help people because if you don't have $250,000, you can't be served by the institution that I work for. So I meet with them. I say, listen, show me everything that you need help with, we sit. I bill you for that hour. I don't come with paperwork. I don't give you paperwork. You don't get sent paperwork, actual paperwork. You get an email from my partner, and I will give you a real life example. I met with a young man. He worked for Spotify, needed help with his options, sat, helped him with his options. I got up, walked away, went around the corner, let my partner know I was done. Before I reached the end of a New York City block, he was sent an invoice to pay for the time. It was done. Went with paper, no paper. He was done. Pleased it was done in an instant. That is the future of financial services. I didn't care about how many assets he had or how much money he made. He had a problem that I was able to solve right there, an hour worth of my time. My mentor and I, who's still at the firm that I worked for previously, would always argue about this because I knew it was coming. I felt it. I said, there's something, there were so many things about the financial industry that wasn't fair. And if you grew up how I grew up, it's very expensive to be poor in this country. Very expensive to be poor. Right? So, I can go into that, and, and there's a lot of data to back that up. But the more you need access to banking, the more expensive it is going to be. Bank of America, right? There's bank checking accounts that were free, all of a sudden now they're $150 a year. They took that back. So we would always have this conversation, and I was like, you know what? It's just, it's just not right. It's not sitting with me. Because if someone could have just sat my mom down or my dad down and say, hey, you're not going to make it till the end of the month, maybe I would come home sometimes and our stuff wasn't on the front lawn, or the lights wasn't off, or cars weren't being repossessed. They didn't have access to that. No one wanted to reach back and help them because they weren't a lucrative opportunity for a bank. The future of financial services is inclusive, where before it was exclusive. Exclusives of, ex exclusives of excluding anyone who was not in the club, and exclusive in the sense that you had to have exclusive access to the financial advisor who worked at Goldman Sachs and which means you needed to be at the golf course, or you needed to have gone to Harvard Business School, or Columbia, you had to have it in. So that same young man that walked onto Wall Street in 2006 and didn't know nothing about the financial industry, nothing, he's 26 years old, I knew nothing about Wall Street. And I saw this whole world evolve in front of me. And I promised myself if I ever got the opportunity to do this, 
I would be just as passionate as I was about everyone else who did what they could to keep it in the hands of those that had it. So I'm passionate about, passionate about, and excited about what this means for all of those who were, again, unbanked, those who need resources and cannot get them and don't have the end, because Siri is now your Goldman Sachs advisor. So back to the story. I'm arguing with my, my mentor. I said, something's off here. I just don't think it's fair that if someone doesn't have $250,000, I can't even help them. And then when they do give us money, we're going to take a percentage of those assets to do nothing, to pass it off to a manager or we sit. I was raised where you work, you get paid. If you don't work, you don't get paid. To me, it was inherently nuts. Same thing with the mutual fund, right? That's a conversation for another day. It just didn't make sense. I will argue with it. Anybody every day and twice on Sunday, the mutual fund industry was not set up for the consumer. It was set up for the banks. Story for another day. So along, this is 2012, 2013, ETFs go poof, right? Which is the best way to explain it. The mutual fund is the record player. ETF is Spotify. It's the new version of a mutual fund, right? And it became cheaper. And I'm like, okay, well, this is great. Still makes sense. But they're taking the ETFs and they're creating this portfolio and they're still charging people a piece of that. It just doesn't make sense to me. And then you're looking at all of the antiquated information and all of the antiquated data and resources and tools that you have. I'm like, something's off here. Two of my heroes, one is Jeff Bezos, the other is Danny Meyer. Danny Meyer, owner of Shake Shack. Jeff, you guys know. I refer to him as Jeff. You mentor in my head. Right? They are obsessed with customer service. The future of financial services is all about customer service. That's what it's about. That's how easy it is to provide a service financially that people will come to appreciate and expect. Because if I call an Uber right now, I go downstairs, I get in the Uber, I get out, I keep going. I don't have to wait. It's seamless. Over. I take you back to another date. 2011 was when mobile point of sale came into play because of this. Biometric authentication right now is in play because of this. Cryptocurrency and decentralized apps will be coming to play because of this. Siri, what is the price of Bitcoin? It's $8,615. So, if you are in a place now where you are a bigger bank or you are Noble Bridge Wealth Partners, it is incumbent upon you to look at what is going on in terms of payments, in terms of service, and in terms of what people expect when you are providing them a service today. It is to be seamless. It is to be personalized. It is to be timely. It is supposed to be easy because that's what we've grown to expect. Also, if you are in financial services, there is $30 trillion dollars that is going to pass down to millennials over the next three decades. 30 trillion. 
my partner's here, we don't need all 30 trillion, I can tell you that much. But I will tell you this, and I tell all of our clients that, if you work with us, the investments, the money, all of that comes last. Every touch point is a point to wow you. The assets come later. The investments come later. And I will end this presentation later on by talking about those of you that are in here that are looking to get involved in the financial services industry. I venture to say the day when the all-star from Harvard Business School leaves and go on Wall Street, it won't be as easy for him to compete with those who study the humanities. You will be paid in the future based on how well you work with AI. Communication, psychology, sociology, behavior economics, you name it. It's no longer the thing to be the smartest in the room and how to put together the best portfolios and be able to do the best chart analysis. Doesn't matter, AI does that now. Look at some of the earnings of Goldman Sachs and, and a lot of the bullish bracket firms, the trading, who they're laying off. AI is doing all of that. I think there's a stat that says that automation will be responsible for half of the jobs in this country going away. So the future of financial services is about customer service, a seamless experience, a timely experience. There are, right now, as I speak, I believe that the number changed based on their earnings. There are, I think they said there's roughly $1.3 billion on those little Starbucks cards that people have, I guess, that you can load on your card. That would make them roughly the fifth largest bank in the company country rather, $1.3 billion. Anybody know what Starbucks just announced? Credit card. You know why? Better experience. I have all of your data. I have all of your information. PayPal, $13 billion of consumer dollars. Square, you get a debit card, you pay your bills, transfer money, Oh, by the way, you got a Bitcoin wallet now. It's a bank. Second largest currency in the world. Want to guess what it is? Airline miles. I was just in the airport, and I'm looking, and they give you the price of the item, and they also give you how many airline miles you can use to buy that protein bar or stale muffin that's been there forever. Right? So... This is the change. Banks no longer have the control. I posted on Facebook last night. How many of you would use banking services provided by Facebook if they offered it? Oh, hell no, hell no, hell no. Okay. Facebook has more data on you than anybody. They know you better than you know yourself. That's fact. That's how they make all the money. Also, Facebook is not a tech company. It's an advertising company. You don't get fooled. Second thing, if they have all of that data and are able to use it, what does that mean for the experience that they are able to provide? I hate going to the bank. I hate it. I hate going to the ATM. But if I, and, and I said it, I, I agree, I wouldn't use Facebook, but not for the reasons that people gave, but imagine if Apple used the $250 billion that they have overseas and brought that back and decided they wanted to offer banking services. I have, oh, wrong person. 
right? I have an iWatch on, I have an iPhone, I have AirPods. The future of financial services is mobile consulting. I'm going to be able to get any type of advice I want when I want it. Any second. Siri, what is the current price of Under Armour stock? Under Armour is up $1.66 today, or 12.59% to $14.84. I bet you right now you call half of the advisors in New York City, they couldn't give you that information. That's poignant. And as quickly. Hold on. Got to take it in. I don't know the arm, by the way. Don't judge me. It's not doing well. But it's up today. That's good. Thank you, Siri. So my point is, at any moment, I can get that information. I could be running, have my AirPods in, and ask her that information because I thought about a stock that I forgot to sell. And I could get in the house and I could say, Alexa, sell my Under Armour. When you're done, move that money to my Coinbase account and buy me the balance in Ether. That is the future of financial services. That what it, that's what it's going to mean to have AI and big data and companies like Facebook that have all of this information about you to provide a service and a seamless experience. So going back to that point, if it's not going to be Facebook, look at some of the other examples. Overstock.com, anybody familiar with them? They just announced they're going to have a robo-advisor. $9.95 a month. <laughs> right? WhatsApp is rolling out in India. WhatsApp, you're able to do peer-to-peer -peer payments. Half of the stores in the country accept Apple Pay. Who have Apple Pay? Anybody use it? Like it? Nice and easy, right? Seamless. So if I'm meeting with the financial advisor who still wants me to come to his corner office and show me his bad pie charts and drone on about how smart he is, but doesn't care about the fact that I'm a startup founder, I sold my company, I have $40 million, I have stock options, I don't know what's going on, sir. You were my daddy's advisor. I don't have an inheritance of 150,000 shares of Exxon. Help me now, keep your charts. The future of financial services is about now. Right at this moment, what can you do for me right now? So that may mean that I am in an Uber on the way to the airport, Tyrone. I need to know the price of Under Armour. Oh, by the way, my lawyer just sent me a document. Can you review this and let me know what I need to do before my plane takes off? I don't have time to go through your seven gatekeepers right now. So if you want to be a part of the future of financial services, what it's about it's being responsive. It is being on call 24-7. It's everything that the financial industry put up a guard against that we weren't supposed to be as financial advisors. advisors. We were the chosen few. We had the information that everybody wanted. There was a time where what I just did on my phone, people would have to call their broker and say, hey, what is the price? He lied. But he'd give them a price. And the clients would execute on that information. Next example, right now, so there was a time when there were things called discount brokers. That was supposed to disrupt the financial industry. E-Trade, really good commercials now, by the way. TD Ameritrade, the whole deal. Right now, TD Ameritrade, 24-hour station where you can at any time log into this station and get 
market news, 24-7, power of video, something I'll talk about soon. Not only that, but they've given you the opportunity to trade overnight, something that I didn't discover that you can do until there was a manager where I worked. The market had closed, the stock had run up, and he was trading. And I was like, ooh, that's cheating. So the market closed at 4 o'clock. Access that the average person didn't have. Now, you can trade after market on your phone. Also, if you don't want human interaction, they have a chat bot named Todd or Ted, somebody. You can talk to Todd or Ted whenever you like. Ask them whatever you want. You don't have to use a human. Social media presence. They're all over social media. They realize that right now, more than fighting for assets, financial service companies are fighting for attention, just like everyone else. Just like everyone else. We're fighting for the 70% of time that people spend on the internet, of which is on mobile. 70% of people's time spent on the internet is on mobile. And within that time, every single minute, $750,000 is spent on mobile. That's where the power is. That's where the reach is. So if I can get an order from Amazon for whatever it is that I wanted, dish detergent, whatever, I can get it sent to me. They have all my data. They know when I'm going to the bank. They know all of my banking information. They have it all. So I can just simply summon Alexa to get it all done. One fell swoop. Banking, dentist appointments, Ubers, the whole deal. Financial services and the future of financial services is going to have to be interwoven with everything else that we do in our lives. Because those that matter are going to demand it. Snapchat. I am fascinated with Snapchat. Fascinated. Whether you think it's a good business or not, I could care less. Whether it's a good stock or not, I could care less. I'm fascinated for this reason. If you want to see where the world is going, look at what 12 to 17-year-olds do on Snapchat. Besides send silly pictures to one another. Think about it for a second. They live and breathe on this because at any instant, whatever it is that they need, that they can do it through Snapchat. This is what Wall Street doesn't get. It's what the average person doesn't get. And again, I do my market research, and I ask these kids, what is the platform of choice? It's Snapchat. Why? I tap a little dollar sign in my little text box. I can immediately send money to my friend for half the pizza that we had. We could do group chats. I can have a whole story of an event, of something that you weren't at, and I can send you the pieces that you weren't there, but you wanted to see. We can chat. And I said, if you don't believe me, the power of this thing, anyone that's under 20 years old, send them a text message. And wait. And wait. And when you're tired of waiting, send them that same exact message on Snapchat. And see how quickly they get back. What it means is this. Generation Z, I think that's what they're calling them, right? The youngest millennials and Gen Z expect now. Now. Everything is now. Or 
it is that I need to live inside of an app. So everything that my company does, or any company does, or any e-commerce company does, or retail company, or financial company, you can't let that person leave the app. That's the one thing Zuckerberg has figured out. So long as you are in this app, we will throw the cart at you so that you never leave. Payment, you got it. You want to go outside to another website? We got that here. Click here. Log in through this. Ever notice that? Right? Log in through Facebook. Of course we want you to log in through Facebook. We get all of that data. Log in through Twitter. It's the same thing. So what you're seeing is a change in the world, but also a change in how, again, financial services are going to be delivered. If I always have a financial advisor on call, which is another thing, we're no longer going to be advisors. We'll be consultants. You're going to pay for my time. You know why? Because you can open a stash account with $5. They'll give you a choice of portfolios. You can pick them. Tyrone, should I buy or sell? I don't know. Let's share a coffee. I'll give you the answer. Right? We touch phones, you pay me, I leave, you go your way, you go mine, it's done. That's where we're at. That's where it's going. So it's, it's a situation where if I always have what I need in the singular app, there's no reason for me to ever leave it. The experience, the UX, the UI, right? For those of you that are familiar with the startup world that I am, that design is important. The personal capital app is a beautiful app. The experience is second to none. Started by a gentleman, by the way, who did very well on Wall Street and funded this company. And if you're not familiar with it, I encourage you all to download it. Just do the demo. You'll be blown. And if you want to have money with them, they'll charge you a little bit. For the most part, it's free. You can get all your budgeting and so on and so forth. Can't leave us. You cannot leave us. If you are on Twitter... It's the same thing. But what is happening with Snapchat and what that means, Snapchat is the model for all companies to follow in terms of engagement, nothing else. Everything else is noise. It's engagement. It's getting those who visit you, who visit your website. What do they see when they visit your website? Does something pop up? Hey, thanks for visiting us. Right? A chat box. Just to keep them interested. Long enough to dangle a hook. Right, when I first learned, learned to cold call in a bullpen, right, old school Wolf of Wall Street style, they always used to tell you, just throw anything at the wall, keep them on the phone. The longer they stay on the phone, the better chance you have of closing them. So you would say anything, my mother's shoes are blue, whatever, <laughs> right? Please buy 100 shares. It never changes. It was manual before, but now it's automated. So we're always picking up information on your behavior and what you do. So Snapchat realizes the longer we keep this demo in this app, imagine what we know about them by the time they're 22, by the time they decide to apply to Columbia. We've noticed that you've applied to two Ivy League schools. Would you like the next step, so on, blah, 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 or how to apply for financial aid? We've also noticed in your demographics that you won't be able to use the, the, the balance in your 529. Would you like us to discuss some tax-efficient ways that you may be able to pay for school? Incredible what's coming. That's the power of Snapchat. The future of financial services is not dog years, but it's the experience provided by Snapchat. Imagine what it's like 10 years from now 
when a 12-year-old is a senior at Columbia, what that experience is like. I've been saying this. I have a five-month-old nephew now. He will never Google anything in his life. He's going to laugh. You, you type something in to get information? That's crazy. <laughs> I was born with assistance. Two, Marcus Goldman and Samuel Sachs, Alexa and Siri. Whatever I need, I ask her. She answers, sometimes with an attitude. Right? Alexa, the same way. Now imagine you get up and you say, Alexa, make some coffee. Put the blinds up. Check the balance of my Charles Schwab account. Make an appointment for my advisor, please. Let him know that I'd like to cover the children's 529 accounts. And I want to retire in a year or so. When was the last time you met? What did you say? Get an answer. You get in the car, you get in the Uber, you're on your way to the office. If you're still office, then most people are probably working from home. Hold your phone to your face. Recognizes you, goes right to your account. At that point, Facebook Messenger opens up. Boom, your advisor's there. And you're having a conversation with him on the way to the meeting. Because your time is valuable, so is his. You get there. You get the answer that you're looking for. The market's been down 20%. He assaulted your fears that everything is going to be okay. You take out your phone, you tap his phone, you pay him in Bitcoin, you walk away. That's the future of financial services. And again, the hot topic would have been able to sit here and go on about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and Ether and Litecoin and Dogecoin and Zcash, all of which I'm very passionate about and love. But here's the thing. There's some really smart gentlemen on TV, PhDs, who want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Blockchain is great. Bitcoin is bad. doesn't work that way. As I mentioned, if you go back to 2008, in that white paper, everyone forgets. Satoshi Nakamoto said everything that I was just talking about. But he said it a lot smarter. More bespoke, more erudite. An electronic peer to peer cash system. Peer to peer, me to you. Starbucks to me. Overstock to me. Square to me. Venmo to me. Him to me, you to me. No middleman. No bank to say, hey, wait a second. You want a piece of that? I've studied all types of this. I was lucky enough to go to an event at Visa, their headquarters. They did an event on, on a cashless society. All right, they knew there were some folks in the room who were younger and wanted to talk about crypto. Listen, I get it. Visa's the New Jersey turnpike of merchants, right? And industry and retail completely understand what they're doing. And they all, they're all for a cashless society. But here's what I do know. In the future of financial services, I want to sell you my house. We're going to agree through a smart contract on blockchain that I'm going to buy, I'm going to sell you my house. When you wire me, excuse me, excuse me, quick terms, but when you send me the money for my house and it hits my account on a specified amount of Litecoin, at that point, over the blockchain, the house is yours. Everyone sees it. It's there, it's immutable, can't be changed. So what was the other issue that was a big deal in financial services? As I mentioned at the beginning, was trust. We don't trust them. I hear it every time. Tyrone, how do I find a financial advisor I trust? 
How do I find a bank I trust? How do I know they're not going to rip me off? You don't until they do. Now, here's the thing. There's all of this up to do and uproar about what's coming in terms of litigation for our industry to make sure that everyone is doing right by their clients. A fiduciary standard is what they call it. Long overdue. The future of financial services is going to be completely transparent. Right? So there's private and public blockchains. Let's just say it's a public blockchain. There will no longer be an opportunity for you to get cheated because, again, it's timely. It's seamless. If I can get that same service from Starbucks, I'm going to expect it from Bank of America and Merrill Lynch. Sometimes, still, in 2018, it takes three to seven days for money to clear. Japan has had instant payments since 1973. We won't have it until 2020. If you're not fired up about fintech, what should you be fired up about? This is life-changing things. A farmer in Kenya on his phone can transfer money, can receive money. That is the power of blockchain and crypto. It's not about all the goofy stuff that you've seen. It's about a single mother in the inner city who's feeding three children on her own and has a card with money on it and can't determine how much money is on that card so she won't go to the store to get embarrassed like my mother used to and pick up too much stuff. So she can load that card into phone. And the phone will tell her how much money she has. But not only will it tell her how much money she has, it will budget every dollar of that money so she'll never go through that embarrassment again. And better yet, she doesn't have to pull out that little card that's so embarrassing because she can, just like everybody else. That is the future of financial services. It is inclusive. No one is left out. From Kenya to Brooklyn, from Woodbridge to New York City, no one is left out. You have all of the power as the consumer. Because guess what? Now, Try having your money in an institution and moving that money to another institution. As I like to call it, moving money from your right pocket to your left pocket. Very easy to do with cash. Try doing it with actual assets that are domiciled with someone else. In China right now, through Alipay, they're allowing people to secure their own citizenship on their phone through Alipay. You own the data. You own your security. You own it. So if I want to move my assets from Bank of America to Wells Fargo, I can take that off of the public blockchain and I own it. I can move it to someone else. Try moving money from institutions right now. Crazy stat for you. The average marriage before divorce in the United States of America is eight years. The average length of a relationship with a bank is 16. So I said last night, people should start adding overdraft fees into their prenup. But what does that mean? The majority of people polled say they won't change banks. We just won't do it. As bad as the service is, as much as they gouge us, we just won't change. And by us, I mean those of us in the room that are probably 
40 and, uh, 40 and older. Because of what we've grown to expect. 12-year-old is not ever going to care or know what a bank is. Because a bank is his phone that he can access through Snapchat by blinking twice. And I can talk and things happen. And I can utilize video and things happen. So if the majority of folks, 30 trillion as I mentioned, if that money is going to the people who expect these types of services, 30 trillion dollars, there's roughly 100 trillion in assets in banks worldwide. 30 trillion. So I'm no math major, but let's just say that, what is that? That's a third of the money? It's going into the hands of those that expect these type of services. The future of financial services is exactly what I described. I'll come meet with you. I'll sit with you. You pay me for my time. I help you. I go my way. You go yours. How do you want to pay? Seamless. Choices are unlimited. I got a wearable on, you got a wearable on, we can touch wearables. I just met with a young man who is coming up with an idea, along with a few others, that you are going to wear a chip in your clothes. And that is how you're going to pay. You don't need a phone, you don't need anything. Have this chip, similar to what you've seen with Amazon store, you walk in, you walk out. So at some point, we can't think of it now because we're so tied to the things that we have in physical to use to pay. Your person is just going to be enough. Fingerprint authentication is just going to be enough for everything. My face is just going to be enough for everything. So the future of financial services is mobile consulting. The future of financial services is inclusive. The future of financial services is instant, but more importantly, it's now. It's happening right now, all around us. Which leads me to the last of what I want to cover. If you are sitting in this room right now and you endeavor at all to become a part of the financial services industry, I would be extremely excited. Here's why. There's something called Wall Street, as we all know. The new Wall Street, the FinTech Wall Street, is right here in New York City. TransferWise, New York City. Betterment, New York City. LearnVest, New York City. Stash, New York City. Bloomberg, probably the most successful startup ever, right here in New York City. This is where it's happening. New York City is the Silicon Valley for FinTech. Financial services are going to change based on what is happening right here in New York City. You want to know why? And, I, and I'm not a fan of New York City, by the way, but it just, oh. But the diversity. So if I am an engineer and I only make AI useful for a single white male, what good is that? It's going to be incumbent upon you all to make sure that it is inclusive. So what better place to start that technology than here? We can try it out on African-Americans and Asians. We can try it out on tall people, short people, overweight people, twins. What better place to do that than right here? Smartest minds in the world. There's no greater area in the country, in the world, in my opinion, to be educated than right here. Right here 
on the East Coast. So if you are at all getting into this industry, I would implore you to think about how well you are willing and able to interact concomitantly with technology, not in spite of it. The future of financial services, as I mentioned previously, is going to be about providing an experience. The human touch will never leave, ever. And when I was arguing with my mentor about this, and I was, and I, I just felt it in my spirit, we would go back and forth, and he's like, you're crazy, it's not going to be run by robots, and so on and so forth. But I just knew that something was coming, and it's here. It's here. It's now. So if you are getting into this industry, there's a, there are a few things that you should be aware of. One, I believe the, 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 the term they're throwing around now is soft skills, whatever that means. What it means to me is you're going to have to work with people. You're going to have to understand that big data, which is what everyone's throwing around, is currency. It's information. Big data is money. Not only in terms of what that means for servicing the people who are ultimately going to be your clients, institutions, and or retail, the average person, but because that data and that information is going to allow you to pick up on behaviors and themes with that individual and their lives, which is ultimately going to provide them a better experience. So, as I mentioned previously, if you are studying humanity, if you are a liberal arts major, if you're not into engineering and CS and all of those things, even, even those are going to be needed in financial services. We need people who care about individuals, who are going to be relentless about customer service and doing the right thing by the other person on the other side of the phone, not the table. So you're going to have to be on, always on, always available, 24-7. You're going to have to be able to put yourself in the shoes of someone who didn't look like you or didn't grow up how you grew up. So imagine, again, being in a situation where you did grow up around means and abundance and you have to sit and meet with someone who now is making $20,000 a year, but they need your advice so they can make it to the end of the week. Old financial services couldn't care, yes, couldn't care less because you would have never had the opportunity to be in front of that person. I didn't go to Columbia. I went to community college, but I need your help. Imagine seeing your mother and father struggle relentlessly and fight about money, and money was never taught to you, and now you're sitting here, and you're sitting across from a 60-year-old white man with his $20 million, and he's asking you for advice. That's the power that you've always had, but now the difference is you have his money, but you have all of his data. You know things about him that he doesn't know that you know or doesn't want you to know because the relationship is clearly transparent based on what technology is going to allow you to do to serve him, not to fail him, but to make sure that the experience is seamless. Young, old, rich, poor, smart, not so smart. Early morning, nighttime. There used to be a time where you couldn't be in New York City and have clients in Hong Kong and serve them and do whatever it is that they needed. Those days are over. 
Financial services is 24-7, all-inclusive, all right now. As I'm talking to you, there's a Tesla coupe floating around in space. And the technology that we have to provide a better experience for people is here right now. And it's a challenge, but it's more importantly, it's going to be an expectation based on the end user and based on a firm like Noble Bridge and other firms to come where the sole mission is every touch with that client is a wow point. Every single time you talk to me and we hang up on Facebook Messenger or Google Hangout or Snapchat or whatever means that we use, you should say, I'm so glad my money is with him. I'm so glad my data and security is with him that I'm willing to go back and share more of my data and my relationship with him. So I end on this note and I want to take questions. If you have any, I'll leave things open. If you haven't gotten anything from what I've said, I would like for you to get this. I didn't have my first bank account until I was 18 years old. I was the first one in my family to finish high school. First one to go to college, first one to get kicked out twice. If you don't root for FinTech for the future of financial services, root for FinTech and financial services because a kid who was raised by a father who still can't really read or write that well, a mother who had a daughter at 17, didn't have his first checking account until 18, didn't know what a stop was until 26, failed innumerable times in a work environment and professionally, athletically, who never took a business class in college, could be the owner, part owner of a firm, and come and stand in front of the brightest, smartest minds in the country and share his thoughts on the future of an industry that completely abandoned him and his family when they needed him most. Thank you. All right, thank you very much, Tyrone, for that. And uh, he welcomes any questions from the audience. We have a good 30 minutes, so uh, please, uh, anybody have any questions? Yeah, I just wanted to ask, how do you feel about the threat that's involved in you know, being, having everything digitally online. Like, I mean, you could literally erase someone digitally if you can hack them and all of their data. So how do you feel about that? Um, great question. So one of the things that I, that I did not touch upon, and I'm sure my partner would have wanted me to, is right cybersecurity. And I also think that is why, and, and I didn't go into it too much, but the the power of blockchain and being able to move all of the information onto that, I think is going to be key, especially for a financial firm with all the data that you have. Um, the fact that it is immutable, right? I don't want to say it can't be hacked, but there has to be, listen, it's a journal, but it's a journal that everyone gets to see and everyone has to agree that that information is correct. So I think so long as financial institutions put the money into making sure that people's data are secure, which is one of the, you know, which is, the main reason folks last night answered on my Facebook page is they wouldn't want Facebook to have their banking information because the lack of you know security. 
So that is a very good question, and honestly, that is a concern that everyone is going to want to have, right? Um, there's a there's a book called oh, I can't think of it now, but it's basically oh, I can't think of it, but it's about the iPhone, right? And it's about how the iPhone is made, rope the soap. iPhone is probably the most secure device that we know of. Right? Apple goes to great lengths to protect your security, right? So two-factor authentication, the whole deal. Um, and it, he goes into great detail of that in the book. Text messages, the whole deal. Um, encrypted, everything. So again, going back to that point, utilizing blockchain and the decentralization of taking the power away from larger institutions. And here's the other thing. If you have access to your data, you have it all, you decide who you want to share it with. Equifax shouldn't have that thick power. You should have that power. So I think, again, what we're going to see the next wave is to make sure that everyone has that information personally, and then you can share it how you want, right? So again, Zcash, the power of Zcash, again, it's not necessarily about the coins. Who cares? What Zcash is doing is saying, okay, well, you need my license for something. I can send you information off of my license to make sure that you know it's my license, and it's verified, but you never see any of the other data. My address, my height, whatever the case may be, my you know my my background. You just know that it was verified on the other end that I that I provided my license, and now you can give me the services that I need. So I think the next step is to make sure. Again, there's a lot to be played out here, but so long as a lot of that information is given to the actual consumer, right, and taking again decentralization. Right, the only thing I feel at this point you really can't decentralize is customer service. That has to be centralized. I have to get to you. You can't decentralize that. But data, I think so long as people work to give you more of the power, right? So if you're a client of mine, I'm going to give you the power. Use whatever whatever portal you want for your investments because you have control over that. But then when you do have an account with us, right? My partner is the password guru. I can't understand any of the passwords you come up with. 18 symbols and all this other stuff, but he's very into that part of making sure that the data is secure. So it's going to go both ways until we actually get to the point where it's fully in the hands of the user. Um, but I also think as, and what you're seeing, as the experience become more seamless, people give that up without really thinking about it. Because everyone that was screaming no on Facebook yesterday, they have so much of their personal information on Facebook, but no, I don't want them to do my banking. But, We have, before we have, we have oh. one question back here. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for the great lecture, and thank you for the opportunity. Uh, oh, don't say that. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll call a conversation. Um, so I don't know if my question related to the subject or not. So w how do you see the future of financial service uh, in multinational corporation, in particular with the foreign exchange rate? How, what's going to happen to that? especially, you know, transferring money from country to a country? Great question. Thank you. So if you are familiar with TransferWise, look that up when you leave here. There are, there's the ability right now to send money worldwide instantly, and the conversion is done for you. The problem is larger institutions, is another thing that I argue with my mentor about, Larger institutions are so far behind that they won't have the ability to do that for years, probably. 
where right now startups are doing that, right? TransferWise is very, very good, and what they're doing is incredible. Now, the other part of that, again, if you look at the power of cryptocurrency, not one in particular, if you have a favorite or you think it's hooey, whatever, there. But what that means is that now, I'm going to be able to send you whatever it is that you need from me, dollar amount, so on and so forth, in that particular currency, instantly. I don't have to go to a Western Union like before, or whatever the case may be. I can send it directly to you in the currency that you need, right? Um, so I do think the multinationals are, and here's the thing, say multinationals, banks are not going to get that. I think you look at the Amazons of the world, the Squares, the PayPals, the Googles, the Apple, they're going to figure that out before everyone else. And let's be very clear. One of the things that I do know, and the data shows, that people are more likely to take those services from right, the big four, right? Apple, Facebook, Google, right? So they're going to provide those services easier, seamlessly. Why? One, because they have the tech. They're not encumbered by regulation. And two, I know everything about you. But you kept traveling down the street to send money to Turkey. Guess what? You'll get a pump. You'll get something that pops up on your phone. Convert now for free. They get the money instantly. That's where we're headed. Um, so my name is Ricardo. Uh, I study enterprise risk management and risk management here at uh, SPS. And I just want to thank you for uh, Tyrone for, for sharing your insights. So my question is more along the lines of hedge funds. Okay. So although they are being you know upgrading their sophistication in terms of how they make money, they're still operating in very traditional ways. Yeah. So how do you think, like for example, for you being able to invest because of the by regulation, because of how risky they are, you have to have you have to have an income about $250,000 a year to be able to invest in a hedge fund, for example. Right. So what do you think is the future of that hedge, the hedge fund industry or the hedge fund businesses? Um, and how can we you know, start t taking some actions from now to be able to guide that future? Wow. That's a really good question. I, I, the, uh, <laughs> the, the right thing to say in this, with, with, that, with that question is, I don't know. But I will say this, if you look at the way hedge funds do business, that is likely going to have to change as well. One, their fee structure. Two, access, right? Because now there are a few things that if, again, with the change of financial service and the expectations of very well-heeled individuals, they're going to want access to certain things cryptocurrency being one, right? They're going to have to open up their infrastructure and their thought process of how, again, their service model is going to have to change. That whole two and 20 thing, right? Um, if you look at what Ray Dalio is doing with, with Bridgewater is using a lot of AI, not only for portfolio management, but individual management, right? Um, the thought process, so, processes, so I think the only thing that I can say for sure, and I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm no specialist on the hedge fund industry as, as well, but here's what I do know. They deal with people, they deal with money. Those things are forever changed based on what is happening now. 
So think about it. If I if if I'm if I'm a, a hedge fund, and again, we have all this big data, we have all this money and resources, and we then serve some of the richest families and individuals in the world, and I do believe it's a little more than two hundred fifty thousand, but we serve some of the, the in, greatest in, in you know successful individuals in the world. Our business model has to change because again, being the the we are a end result of the institutions that sit between us and our customers. So if that is changing, right, because hedge funds go through the traditional banking system, which is why a lot of them, and, and just pay attention here, a lot of them aren't happy with what's going on with crypto and blockchain because, again, as an individual, I can go right to an exchange and buy whatever it is that I want. I don't have to go through a broker or whoever. That is going to be the expectation of every individual, independent of, you know, um, where they go or their their background and how much money they have. So I think hedge funds, just like everyone else, they'll be they'll be probably the last to have to transform. But I think they're definitely going to have to change, um, you know, their business model moving forward in terms of utilizing blockchain, making access to crypto, and then even some of their some of their portfolios in the fee structure. I don't know. I don't know, Corey. You agree? I mean, I don't know how long it can do two and twenty. I, I just, I can't, I can't see that being acceptable anymore. But again, I'm sure there's a more bespoke answer on that somewhere. But to me, I, I personally believe the whole industry is under siege. If, more than anything else, and maybe not, lending is going to be the biggest in terms of financial services. Lending is going to be completely revolutionized and is starting already. Um, between crowdfunding and everything else, and, and you know, SoFi and whatever what they're all doing is incredible. Um, but I do think there's not a industry in financial services that is not going to be completely transformed by the technology and what's coming. Yeah. Uh, thank you for the picture. Um, sure. It's very uh, fascinating to know something about the financial future. And also, you said a very key word, which is very interesting. for this and just in general when I when I started to become fascinated with fintech and, and payments in general and just I started to look a lot at Asia especially in China right so the things that you can do in Alipay is amazing right and they also have the largest money market fund in the world which is 260 billion dollars I believe something ridiculous that they, they provide a service where you you give them your money and I think the return last I checked was three and a half percent or something like that, just to store your money there. Um, also to have all of that data and information to allow you to bank 
seamlessly, right? QR codes, borrow money from someone, send money instantly. So I think China's way ahead of where we are. The interesting thing about the U.S. is this. Those, we are, here's the thing. You got to look in terms of the development of the country, right? A lot of the wealth is still concentrated in this country with older individuals, right? Where the expectation as you grow up in China now is that it's all there, digital, it's just happening. Where now, like I said, I'm, I'm 38 years old. Those who are my age, right, and probably let's just say 38 to, I don't know, late 20s, let's say 28, right? The expectation is we grew up with all of this technology that is coming, but there's always a point, right? So there was a point where there was cars on the road and there were still the horses and buggies, right? So we, we're transitioning out of the expectation of using traditional banking resources and then having these available. So as I mentioned, 12 to 17 year olds who utilize Snapchat, I think 10 years from now, that's what we're gonna see here in this country. And which is why I think the experience of, here's the best thing, the best way to explain it. What social media is going to allow, they're going to allow the change again because they're going to allow these services to be experienced inside of an app, right? <clears throat> Something like Alipay or, you know, a WhatsApp or uh, WeChat, right? Where now all of this is included in the app. So now it's very easy for you to then utilize Apple Pay, right, which is something that will take off and then start to use wearables or whatever to do that. I think we're probably five to ten years off from that, but I think now because of the, the experience with banking here in the U.S. is still entrenched with those who, again, hold the majority of the power and wealth, traditional banking services are still, they're going to be around. So, and, and Again, it's it's a it's a different situation here. It's a it's a huge legacy that we're dealing with. But I think so long as the incumbents and the bigger banks are fighting and don't want to innovate, and the younger startups can't get you know through that impenetrable force, they're going to have to go the back way into social media and using. So the more people use Snapchat, the more they use the the first right, which is going to be huge. It hasn't been invented yet. The first social media platform that's on top of the blockchain, it's over, right? Decentralized apps are calling. So the first Facebook that is going to be on blockchain is when the world changes forever. Because now, again, the end user is going to have control over all of that data, not Facebook. And it will be easy to say, okay, I want to pay you in Ether because this is running on the Ethereum blockchain. This, you know, Facebook 2.0 or whatever it is. So I think we have a ways to go. Um, but I'm completely, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just so impressed with what I've seen in, in China and how easy they make it to pay. So, um, you know, again, if, if, if farmers in Kenya can send money to each other right there um, and we're still waiting on instant payments to come in 2020, we're just, it's, we're behind the curve. But it's coming. One of the feature of social media is that... Um, I would use it only if my friend, all my friends are using it. Right. So the point for, for the uh, fintech companies is getting as much, as many customers as possible, so fighting against the tension. Right. So you can develop more service to the customers. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that will bring, uh, that will reduce competition. So you will end up having one huge company 
get all the customers and they can do they can like launching uh, financial services they launching their services so, so every they, they're taking everything yeah. so there, there's no yeah exactly so yeah. there's no competition so how can they so without competition you know you are like in a monopoly right so that that's the that's the that's the worry with the big four, right? Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon. That's the worry there that they have so much and they can control so much and they have so much money. Again, which is why I think you root for fintech. I think you, you root for the the companies that are looking to find the pocket of need for those that are unbanked and those that are looking to again, perfect example. I just think Snapchat is, is the perfect example of that. Take everything else out of it, just the, the platform, as you said, if all my friends are there, we're always in that. We're always talking through that, we're always on it when we're together. It's, it is gonna be easy for Snapchat now to say, we got all of this information and they're always here, let's provide all these services. To your point, what then happens is, right? The big guys go, we gotta buy them, yeah. right? Yeah. So. That part, that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. But, but, but I do think, again, and I just keep going back to this, the reason that works now is because all of these companies are in control of the information. If I have control of that information now, I essentially can have my own Tyrone Ross token. So if Amazon wants me on their platform to bank with them, I have my token. I put my token on the Amazon blockchain and then I share it with you. We can do all of our banking and everything together. We're just using them as a as a resource to whatever buy laundry detergent for the house every three weeks, whatever it is. But between you and I, we have the trust of our own personal information, and we can share that with whoever we like. So I think the problem now is all of the energy and all of the resources and everything is done by the bigger companies. As people get that back, we'll start to we'll start to see a major change. We have a question back here. I'm super loud now. Oh, you're super loud. <laughs> <laughs> I can appreciate that. So, uh, first of all, thank you very much for your insights. Absolutely. And I have a quick question because we were talking about Kenya and how it's going to be great when, you know, the farmers are going to be exchanging like paying mm -hmm. my phones. I'm from Morocco, mm -hmm. which is one of the most developed countries in Africa yeah. at the moment. Let's say that the majority of the country are illiterate. They just started using WhatsApp, but because they don't know how to write, they just make voice notes mm -hmm. because people just don't know. Right. How do you imagine, like, I agree with you in most of the things you said, but in developed countries, highly developed countries, but in countries in Africa, for example, even in Morocco, when you have financial limitations imposed by governments and not only by banks, which is a big issue, you have people that are not even ready and that are not even used to what we call traditional banking, that they are not even there yet. So how do you think, maybe like this, in the US this is possible, but how do you think that in these countries where you have a human issue and governmental issue, not even just banking, are gonna adapt to all these future financial services? So a few things there. Um, I think one of the things that you have to look at is and you, and you mentioned it so there's a few things at play video voice mobile um and, and various payment systems right so and i would venture to say even in now i would never compare the plight in the u.s to some 
some you know other countries, but I would venture to say, even here in the U.S., there's something similar where those who aren't able to read or write or any of those things are going to be essentially serviced now because of what you are able to do through technology. Now, the next layer of that is, okay, well, how? So, if I, there's a couple things at play. So, the government is a play, right? What is the government going to allow, right? So, perfect example, let's just say, what was it, 2013, where we had the, you know, the, the crisis in Europe, and it was, a, it was a run on the banks or whatever, and it was negative interest rates, and people were running to get their, get their money out. Now, again, I, t I keep taking this back to where we're going in terms of internet, the internet of money. So long as, here you go, walk into any library in the inner city, there are people who are on using those computers in the library for free that aren't necessarily right, the most highly educated, but they know how to get on the computer and get what they want. Now, take that to where we are and the person will be able to speak into a phone and say, what is my balance? Or I need a loan. Or how do I get, right? So as long as you can speak those things into existence, so to speak, the services will be there to be provided. The other part of that is with the development of blockchain and cryptocurrency is now if I don't, all of my money is in a bank but I have a certain segment of my assets that I have on my phone. As long as I'm able to use that phone, I can always move money or send money. If my assets are in the bank and the government says I can no longer have access to those assets, that's because they control them. So again, independent of education, and I, and I say this as well, this is, this is what's so powerful here. Independent of education, location on earth, how much money you have, you will always be able to be banked or have access to money. You will. Now, the development of that is going to be slow, and I, and I love the fact that you disagree with me, but here's the, because, again, one of us is going to be right, but, but I think the, the beauty of it is, is that now there are people trying to work on that solution, and that solution is coming, and it's here, essentially, because, again, if I am, and I, and I, for instance, I have a client, from Jamaica. Jamaica is very impoverished. He's going to send money constantly to Western Union to send money back to Jamaica. There's a, there's a, there's a gentleman now called Reggie Middleton who's working on a system where the impoverished folks in Jamaica, so long, they don't even need a smartphone. They just need a phone. They tap in a code. They can get money sent to that phone. The money's on that phone. They don't have to know anything. They can walk to the store, show that person, and I get my four bananas or whatever I need, right? So that's where things are going. So, it, and at some point, it won't even be that. It'll be walk in, we touch phones, it's done. The phones will do all the communication for me. I just need to have access to one of these and it'll do it for me. So I I I, I agree with what you're saying. There's there is a there is a space there where okay there are again as I mentioned three billion people in the world that are unbanked. But I think what fascinates me and I'm so passionate about and fired up about is that now those same people, so long as we can get them access to a phone, 
they'll then be able to be banked. They'll then be able to have access to resources. They'll then be able to, you know, take care of their families and apply for jobs and get loans or whatever, right on the phone, right on the phone. So, again, there's, there's steps to get there, but I think, again, to your point, I think if, if you, and you probably have ready, but I would encourage you to take a look at what is going on and some of the things that are being built out with um, different types of cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Um, and I think that's one of the powerful things that, is coming is that they'll be able to go into Haiti, they'll be able to go into Kenya and Africa and make sure that these people have access to banking. It's happening already. I think we have uh, time for just two more questions. It's all you. Sort of, I guess, kind of like you brought up, you brought up this idea around um, millennials and Gen Z um, basically having command of around $30 trillion in future, mm -hmm. right? And so the way in which to serve that segment is going to be through the technologies that you described um, and um, the attitudes around um, uh, effectively providing service like on, on demand in real time um, as, it's, as it's requested. So I guess my first question is um, in light of, particularly in the United States, in light of um, the current administration and the recent tax bill, which, which a lot of people are effectively seeing as a wealth transfer from um, poor to rich, mm -hmm. um, does, your, does your evaluation of that block of wealth consider that? Because what that usually sounds to me like is um, existing high net worth individuals, existing um, basically well-endowed people, families, institutions, further consolidating, further consolidating their command of wealth in the nation. Um, and, and, and they may or may not care about those, those types of services. Mm -hmm. Um, that, and then, and then kind of following from that in the context of what your solution is, it's like, we're going to provide this on demand, you know, customer service sort of at the retail side. Um, do you have any concerns around the development of AI and the development, development of automation, which we're seeing in other sectors of banking? Also encroaching upon that that service that service handling. That's a lie. <laughs> so you, you said you had two questions. What was the first one? The first one is related to like, what about the tax bill for that thirty trillion? And the second is, what about further further AI development and automation in, in terms of direct customer service and stuff? Okay. Like cutting that out and whittling away. Because it's back to basics. It sounds like you're going basically back to that service, back to basics, person to person. Yep. Right? Absolutely. What, what about that technology? So to answer your question, and I won't get into um, politics, but when our current president was elected, I had a talk shortly thereafter to a room full of minority attorneys. And I told them the greatest wealth transfer in history is underway. I left it at that. Here's what I mean. We knew whoever the president was that the wealth in this country was in the hands of a chosen few. Call it what you want. I don't, that's a whole other discussion. Again, what is going to happen is now financial services being inclusive looking at, and again, not to keep pounding this table, but 
why you see a lot of the legacy folks who have been accumulating wealth in this country for years so upset at Bitcoin is what it means for the average person to have access to it. This could be an arena where it's a whatever, get-rich-quick scheme, whatever the case may be. But more than that, it's this. Yes, the tax code and, and the tax changes are going to affect people differently. But the fact is, when I decided I already put on it, it's a tax cut, which is why I say these things. One, everyone, and one of the things I do in terms of financial literacy and education is making sure people realize that you don't have to be rich to have an accountant. Get an accountant. That's the first thing. So power. You can get an accountant now. So if you have a credit card app on your phone, I'm sure they asked you already, do your taxes through us. You know why? Cheaper, faster, they have your data. That's the first thing. Second thing is, wealth transfer is going to happen if, if enough of us are able to get through to the masses and say, hey, you have access to these services and things that are going to allow you to empower yourself, right? That was always exclusive. Now is inclusive. A lot of people just don't know. And I'm talking to you from experience. From a kid who just didn't know, and now I'm working next to millionaires every day, I just didn't know. I was like, what is this? So once you know, then you can do the right things to put yourself on that path. I think now, if you look at the tools that are there, budgeting tools, Acorns, Stash, uh, Betterment, Wealthfront, LearnVest, all of these things, LVest for women, right? 76% of millennial women, I was just reading this morning, think that investing is confusing. So there's been a segment of the population that has been left out because these things have been exclusive. Now they're inclusive. So it's gonna be important now, and I've been trying to do it every chance that I get to let people know the abundance, right? The wealth transfer is on. Are you going to get a piece, right? I'm a firm believer in cryptocurrency and blockchain moving forward. So I'm advising folks, learn. You may not like it. If it's for you, where are you going, right? This is where the world is going. You want a piece of this. I was too young. Most of us in here were too young to benefit from the dot, from when the internet stops and the internet came to be, right? Stephen Levy, 1994. Cryptographic protocols will change the U.S currency and, and economic system as we know it and it will and it's here. So bringing awareness I think is the first piece of that. So you can't do any, it's always going to be top heavy but I think the trickle down is going to be an opportunity to use a lot of these resources for people to empower themselves. One being look, there's no more pensions, there's no more any of that so people are going to be responsible for their 401ks. Most people don't understand how the 401k work or what to do or how to use it or but again, a lot of these resources are democratizing that information, making it open for people to know better and do better. So again, if I can sit with someone and they, they bill me for my time, I don't care how much resources you have, but if I can set you up on this track to where now, perfect example, just had a client, 27 years old, more money in cash than he could possibly ever spend. I said, how much money are you getting on your, did you get an interest in your bank account last year? $16. Sat with him, spent time with him, did some machinations with some things, now he's gonna get $500 a year. Gonna make him a millionaire? No. That's a big difference. He's been sitting on that cash for the last five years. That's a material difference. It's just knowing, right? And, and again, 
professionals like myself and guys making that ability. Second thing is, as far as AI goes and, and, and really quickly with technology, I, I, again, I, I'm biased and whenever one, someone gives you their opinion, you gotta understand they're coming from their background, their perspective. I'm a fan, I'm a fan of all of this. I think, it, I think this, the sky's the limit. I do think there's some things that I don't want robots doing backflips and opening doors and stuff that I'm seeing online. But I just think, I, I truly believe in, and, and Elon Musk said it, AI is a powerful tool, but it has to be regulated, just like anything else. It has to be regulated. But I think if AI can determine cancer 90% more effectively than a doctor, who am I to argue? All the family members that I've lost to cancer in the last five years, right? If AI can take data away, uh, take all of my data or, or take the power away from, from a trader that's, that's getting a million dollar bonus, two million dollar bonus, I'm all for capitalism and people doing well. But if that, if that individual is then forced to work with that technology to make the best decisions for me or the Columbia pension, right, the, the college fund, right, those things are important. So I'm a fan of it. I can understand people are a little leery, but I just think as, we, as it starts to become seamless in our lives, I think we'll become a little bit more accepting of it. Um, but as it's, and, and again, it's going to be interwoven in different experiences to where then it, it's just going to become it's just like anything else. The changes will, will come slowly. Like the, the price of gas, it changes five cents. You're like, you gotta be kidding me. Three weeks later, you're not really complaining about it. You're still paying. So this is kind of the same thing, but I think for all in terms of quality of life, right, um, is, is going to be transformative. Last one. Uh, my name is Oi from Applied Business Program. And my question is about employment. Ah, uh, as you mentioned, the uh, financial services are uh, seminars, instant, timely. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And uh, those instant assistants can provide certain types of services, mm -hmm. and a human can can never provide services like that. Yes. So, uh, as a human being and a financial service provider, how can we uh, compete with the machines, and how shall we embrace the changes and the benefits from it? Great question, really quickly. So we can't compete with machines, that's what it is. But here's the thing, I am, again, going, had conversations with my mentors about this, and I'm probably talking about this. What technology is going to do is weed out the bad, right? The bad advisors, right? So any good financial advisor may not be available 24 seven, but my clients know that they can reach me whenever, however, text message, right? So I think that's one thing that it's going to do. I think the other thing is, again, as I said, you're going to get paid in the future, not only in financial services, but especially in financial services, based on how well you work with AI, right? So you're going to have to be able to, again, be timely with aggregating that data and making a decision, right? Because you're going to have all of the answers and everything that you need there. I think the other thing is you're going to have to be able to, here's the last point. In the, in the past, it was, and those in the room that are older will tell you, it was you develop a skill and you had that skill for life, right? And you were able to make a career on that. Now with financial services, it is not going to be that way. It's, it's going to be acquire a skill, acquire a new skill, acquire another skill, adjust to this skill, right? It's, it's going to be continuous learning throughout. So I think no longer is a financial advisor going to be able to graduate with an MBA, get a CFA and then be done with it. I think CFAs are going to have to look into becoming CFPs. 
I think those that are not certified financial planners may have to look at studying behavioral economics, studying history, all of these things. So it's no longer going to be, okay, well, I can just pull financial analysis and tell you, you're going to have to have some of that background um, and, and constantly learning and growing while you're in financial services. And I think a part of that is going to be, right, if you look at the last couple of years, 07 the iPhone, 2011, you know, um, mobile point of sale, biometric authentication, the, the change is coming quicker and quicker. You can't reverse technology, it's gonna keep getting faster. So I think now, um, the last point I promise, I talk too much, but if you look at what's happening, a lot of financial advisors, are they just won't wrap their heads around blockchain and cryptocurrency. It's gone, it doesn't make sense, we can't sell it. We can't, we can get advice on it, but we can't get paid on it. But it's this, it's that, the clients are calling about it. It's all the news, and CNBC, and Sirius tell me, right? So I think as these technologies start to come at a feverish pace, you're forced now to say, all right, well, my Series 7 is 63 and 66 is CFP and CFP is not enough. We constantly need to learn, right? We have to learn Python, we have to learn C++, we have to learn how to code, whatever it is, and nodes and all these other things. So, that's it. Well, Tyrone, thank you so much for giving us your time and your expertise. Thank you very much. Thank you.